the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. Do you want a church that is part of the culture or a church that stands out from the culture? This is hard stuff. It's not about our preference. It's about, thus saith the Lord. Don't look for a way out. God wants worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And that's what we have to do in church matters. We have to want what God wants and we have to joyfully embrace his will. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Well, hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so grateful that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the program. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's edition of Grace to Live, we are continuing with Pastor Keith's series entitled Church Matters. So if you have your Bibles... Please turn with us today to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 2. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. So let's be honest about what it is saying and what it isn't saying. And to be clear, let's move on to our second point, what the passage is saying, what these words are saying. And I want to focus on uh, two verses initially, and that is 1 Timothy 2.12 and 13. I'm going to give you two different readings from two different translations. First in the ESV, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was created first and then Eve. In the New American Standard, it comes across this way. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. Now, when you zoom back from this passage, call it a 30,000-foot view from altitude, what you do see here is this, is that there is some differentiation between the roles and responsibilities of men and women in the church. Now, people get pretty worked up over this. It seems that God is prescribing something different for men and different for women. And when people read this, some are embarrassed as Christians. Others accept it as God's will from God's word and they move on. 
Others are outraged by it, and others either seek a way out of this stricture or around it. The peculiar thing is this, is then they go right from here into chapter 3, the discussion of elders, and they joyfully and willfully, at least some do, accept the role differentiation here. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 and verse 12. What do we see here? It says this, beginning in verse 1, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, that's elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Moving on to verse 12. Let deacons be the husband of one wife, managing their own children and household well. We see the same thing in Titus 1 for elders. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. Appoint every, in every town elders as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, he must hold firm, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. These are limiting prescriptions here. These are designer specifications for the church of the living God. These are boundaries determined and set by God according to his will, expressed very clearly in his word. And what we begin to see here is that there are roles limited here, some for men, some for women, and there's no way around it. When you look at the qualifications for an elder, an elder has to be the husband of one wife. That would limit it to a man. It's a role for men only, and the elders are the primary teachers in the church. We see that the elders are able to teach, able to give instruction and sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. These are men, the husbands of one wife. It's a role reserved by God through his word for men. They exercise spiritual authority over the flock of God. You see that in 1 Peter 5. You see that in Titus 1, and you find it in 1 Timothy 3. And if you think about it, this role differentiation makes common sense. What do I mean by that? Well, let's fast forward to the 21st century. We send our students to Hume Lake every year. Our student ministries department does. Could you imagine putting a 20-something-year-old man in a cabin with teenage girls? Would that seem normal to you? Or putting a 20-something-year-old woman in a cabin with teenage boys? And yet there are those in the church who insist that women can do anything that a man can do, and a man can do anything that a woman can do, that there is no role differentiation. But Common sense tells us that's not true. What's more is the word of God tells us that much, that it can't be true because elders are the husband of one wife. They are to give instruction and sound doctrine. They are to refute those who contradict. And if we're honest about that, we shouldn't have a problem with that because role differentiation is good. God created us male and female, all in the image of God. That's common sense. That's what the word of God says. And what we see here is that at minimum, the teaching role and the leadership role in the church is 
left primarily to men. We see that in 1 Timothy 2.12. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. This goes back to being a, talking about, it's not about internals, but externals. Excuse me, it's not about externals, but internals. It's not about, it's about witness, but not excess. It's about obedience, not preference. The word teach here, didaskain, in this case, it's an infinitive in the Greek, and that root word, didasko, deals with public instruction primarily. And the word authority is also an infinitive here, authentain, and it deals with the exercise of authority. Now, some people cling to the fact that the King James mistranslated it as usurp, but they did that partly to tip their hand to the monarchy. Uh, the fact of the matter is the word is not pejorative. It doesn't mean you're doing something bad. It just means you're exercising authority. And a woman is neither to teach a man, neither to teach men, or to exercise authority over men. That's what is said here in the text. According to this verse, the Holy Spirit indicates through the pen of the Apostle Paul that women are not to teach men nor exercise authority over men. There are two commands here. Why would God do this? What was God thinking? It, some people say, this is unfair. But actually, God tells you why he does this in verses 13 and 14, which many people choose to ignore. Let's start with verse, uh, verses 13 and 14. Let me read them for you, and then we'll go through them one at a time. Verse 13. For because Adam was formed first, then Eve. Verse 14, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Let's deal with the first reason, verse 13. The first reason is something called the primacy of the firstborn. Adam was created first, then Eve. In the Old Testament and the New, you have something called the uh, protogenitor. And that really speaks to the fact that the firstborn is given greater responsibility than the children who come afterwards. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation as the Son of God, God the Son. And in the Bible, you even see it in Matthew 21, 28 to 31, the discussion about the oldest boy inheriting the farm and things like this. The firstborn is always the one who receives the most responsibility. This is part of the creation order that God ordained when he created Adam and then created Eve. And men, according to the Bible, seem to hold the stature of the firstborn within the church. You see that in verse 13. For, because, Adam was formed first, then Eve. And then the passage goes on in verse 14 to indicate that when these structures or rules or or, uh, uh, designer specifications are ignored, bad things happen. Let's look at verse 14. Verse 14 says this, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Now, some people look at that and go, oh, the woman, she's just, she messed it all up. That's not what's going on here exactly. This is a more complicated and nuanced statement than you might imagine. And too often, people don't read everything in context, the immediate context of the passage verse to verse or chapter to chapter or in the whole context of Scripture. And when we ignore God's word in favor of our preferences, when we elevate our experience or our preferences over Scripture— Bad things happen. Again, look at it again. 
And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. This is referring to the account in Genesis 3. It's referring back in history to where God's prescriptions, to God's word, was not honored in favor of something less, something else, human experience. In Genesis 2, God tells Adam that everything is his. He's given him the whole world. He's given him the entire Garden of Eden except for one tree, which is symbolic of Adam's trust in God, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And later, Adam will choose to disobey God in favor of outside pressure and partake of the forbidden fruit. Let's look at Genesis 2, 15 through 17. The Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the Hebrew there says, dying, you shall die. Now just stop there. I want you to think a moment. So God said to him, hey, it's all yours except for this one tree. Even the tree of life would be his. Think about that. This is what the word of God says. I give you everything but this one thing. It's kind of like the glass is full, but maybe Adam and Eve are going to look at the glass as half full, half empty, rather. Verse 4 in chapter 3 of Genesis But the serpent said to the man, you surely will not die. For God knows, excuse me, for the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. For God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will, like God, know good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some of it to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Now think about this. God said, here you go, guys, it's all yours. He says, everything that I have is yours, even the tree of eternal life, right? But this one tree over here, this is my tree. Okay, and if you want what I want, you'll leave it alone. And what happens? They reach beyond the tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what happens? Well, Romans 5.12 tells us this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Man was charged with the crime. He forfeited his role. He forfeited his leadership. He failed to lead. He failed to teach. He failed to instruct. He failed to refute. Their roles were reversed. He trusted in the experience and the proverbial five senses of his wife and ignored the word of God. It wasn't about obedience. It was about preference. The serpent, sort of like the outside pressure of the culture, told him, don't trust God. What are you, crazy? God's just holding you back. He doesn't want you to be like him. So they trusted in what seemed right and fair and good to them in their own sight. They took what they felt they were entitled to. They ignored God's prescription. They chose not to go by the book. And how did that work out for them? Sin and death entered the world through one man, Adam, because he did not fulfill his role. Now, I suppose we could ignore this prescription. 
Others have, right? I mean, think about it. Other denominations have ignored this prescription. Other churches have, and it's, going, it's gone well for them, right? I mean, you have the Episcopal Church USA. You have the Presbyterian Church USA. You have the United Methodist Church. You have the Congregational Church. You have the Church of Christ. Oh, but wait a minute. Those churches have lost over half of their membership in less than a generation. Those, many of those churches are in the process of ordaining homosexuals. Yeah, it's gone real well for them, hasn't it? Not so much. You see, God holds us responsible to conduct worship matters by the book, to conduct church matters by the book. God held Adam responsible for not keeping his word and not fulfilling his role responsibilities for forfeiting them and for metaphorically listening to his wife rather than obeying God. In fact, in Genesis 3.17, we see this. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. You see what happens when you don't want what God wants? When you choose to see the glass as half empty rather than full? When you choose to elevate your preferences over obedience to God's very clear and understandable word? You miss the tree of life. And we know what that means. The wages of sin is death. Churches who ignore this sooner or later go into decline. Denominations that ignore this go into decline. There's this big movement today in, in many churches and many denominations to honor the prescription about elders, but say that women can be pastors as long as the pastor isn't an elder on the elder board, but pastor and elder are the same thing. It's just a semantic game. It's just a way to pursue one's preference over obedience to God's word. So we have these words in 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15, which exasperates so many people, which cause anger and outrage in so many circles. 1 Timothy 2, 11. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. And yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. You know what? For those who see the glass half empty here, they miss something very important about the value of women here. There are two mandates in this passage. Women are to be taught and trained. And women are to learn. And they are to grow spiritually. We see this in 1 Timothy 2.11. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. That means that in the worship service, while the men are lifting up holy hands without dissension, she is to be adorned in self-control and good works and learn quietly, respecting the order of worship. But she is to learn because she is not inferior. She just has a different role to play. And in verse 15, we see this. Don't miss this mandate, this command, this encouragement to grow. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, and we'll get into this later, what this means, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. 
Beware the half-empty glass. This is talking about consecrated hearts, men and women given over to the will of God who understand it's about internals. It's about a consecrated heart, not externals. It's about their witness to a fallen world, to be unlike the world, not excesses of posturing and pageantry. It's about obedience, not their preference. They want to be like Christ and follow in his steps. Yet human beings tend to be creatures of extremes, and if one or two things are denied them, they seem to throw up their hands and say, well, this is unfair. That's what Adam and Eve did. They were given the whole world to take care of. Everything that was God's was theirs, except what was his. And he gave them designer specifications. Do not touch this tree. But they failed to beware of the half-empty glass, and they took what was not theirs and suffered the consequences. We do well to keep in mind the purpose of the pastoral epistles. We do well to keep in mind that this is not some obscure passage in some obscure book of the Bible. And for that purpose, I call your attention to 1 Timothy Timothy 3, 14 and 15. I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed... I write to you so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of the truth. This is God's word. This is God's way. And we have to be happy with it. Kind of like the way I was happy with having two girls. And Dr. Hahn, you know, he wanted a boy for me. I wanted what God wanted, don't you? So, we know what the passage is not saying. We know what the passage is saying. But what does it mean? What is it, how does it work itself out? That we'll talk about next week. But for the here and now, let me leave you in the meantime with some thoughts for application. Thought number one is there may be some of you who are all up in arms. Maybe you're on the verge of hyperventilating. And I would say to you that if this passage offends you, beware of the half-empty glass. Because we just read what the passage said. We just explained it. We looked at the reasons that God gave us in verses 13 and 14. And if you're challenged by this, and if you don't quite buy into what the passage says, or maybe how I presented it, the second idea for application would to be be a good Berean. Search the scriptures to see if this thing is true. You know, some people are going to run to their favorite uh, YouTube channel. But you know what? Be a good Berean. Search the scriptures. Read this passage again and again. Look at 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15 in context of 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 15. Look at it in the context of 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 8 in chapter 1. And Titus, be a good Berean. Be a good student of scripture. Number three, remember worship is about the heart. It's about obedience, not preference. We want to have the same attitude that Christ had. He was obedient. In his case, to the point of death, even death on the cross. Maybe in your case, to the point of putting your preferences to death and obeying the word of God. Number four, do you want what God wants? That's what you have to ask and answer here. You look at this passage. Do I want a church unlike the world? 
or a church that blends in, like the Presbyterian Church USA or the Episcopal Church USA or the United Methodist Church? Do you want a church that is part of the culture or a church that stands out from the culture? These are important questions to consider. This is hard stuff. It's not about our preference. It's about, thus saith the Lord. Don't look for a way out. God wants worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And that's what we have to do in church matters. We have to want what God wants and we have to joyfully embrace his will. Pastor Keith Crosby with today's Grace to Live radio broadcast. We are so grateful that you've chosen to spend this time with us today here on the program. And if you have questions about today's show, or if you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Keith, then I would encourage you to visit our website, hillsidechurch.org. There you can listen to past sermons and other content from Pastor Keith just by clicking the Sermon Archive tab. And you can also find links to Pastor Keith's blog, as well as the Out of My Mind podcast. The website is also a great place to connect with us here at Hillside. You can find information on our service times, ministry opportunities, and of course you can browse our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and much, much more can be found by visiting our website, hillsidechurch.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time on Grace to Live. But until then... I'm your host, Kevin Reeves, and on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you, and thanks for listening. Thank you.